This is The Journey's Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Stolo. Today I'm talking with Ani Anderson. Ani is a trained occupational therapist and master energy worker. She helps people achieve greater purpose and feelings of vitality by getting clear on and actualizing the things that are truly meaningful to them. Ani is the best-selling author of Find Your Soul's Agenda, the one word that will make your whole life a success. Ani wants you to know that all of life is available to you. Most people only see a fraction of the options. What if you could be like the people you admire, do things you dream about, and have absolutely anything you wanted? So the conventional belief is that if you work really, really hard for something, you get it. You're talking about something different in this journey. You're talking about manifestation. It sounds like a different path to getting what you want. Maybe for the sake of just getting clear on what manifesting is, in its simplest form, what does it mean to manifest? Yeah, so you're right. A lot of people talk about how hard things need to be. And I think it sounds kind of cheeky to say, ooh, we're going to get what we want and we're going to make it easy. I mean, that sounds like some kind of cheesy marketing message. But the idea is with manifesting, if you're in alignment with who you really are and what your desires really are, that the universe wants to show up and help you to get them. So the reason that it is more easy is that we're really getting in touch with who we are at a basic level. Uh, A lot of times people think that we have to attract the things that we want into our life, but manifesting really is about what's uncovering what's already there. So it's really less about attracting something that isn't there and uncovering what's already there that we can't see because we aren't in true alignment with who we really are and what we really want in our lives. This idea that getting to the heart of what one truly wants, being true to that very, very deep sense of purpose, deep sense of desire, help people understand how that starts to unfold in a way. You talk about almost like the universe co-conspiring to make this happen. Of course, we could get into a conversation about the idea that when you're really in alignment, you and the universe aren't two separate things. Um, (laughs) But let's first start talking about this idea of why, quote unquote, the self-alignment starts to build a, a different kind of rapport with the universe. And then we can talk a bit more about how those, through that alignment, we start to see that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Sure. I think that I'd like to take the conversation to the place of the natural laws of the universe. And one of those natural laws is that everything that's natural in the universe is always in expansion. So I love thinking about a few years ago, I was in New York City at the planetarium and I was watching the show at the planetarium and they were saying that scientists used to think that space was getting smaller, but space is actually expanding. And I thought that was so brilliant because space is expanding, the trees are growing, everything that's natural is constantly growing into more life or more expansion. And so as humans, we, because of our fabulous intellectual capacities, we can have a tendency to not see that or forget that. We are always 
in a place of expansion. If we are natural, if we are natural beings and we are in a place of expansion, that it would actually make sense that when we put ourselves directly in alignment with the expansion of who we are, what we want to have, who we want to be in the world, the things that we want to do, we want to expand our interests, expand our skills. If we want to expand, then we would be in alignment with you know, the, the universal principles, but we we forget that as humans, we forget about that expansion. We go throughout our day, we wake up the same way, we put our pants on the same way, we brush our teeth in the same way, and we forget about expansion, you know? And so we, we can feel this kind of humdrumness and then we feel like, well, why aren't things opening up to, our, to us? And it's because we aren't placing ourselves within that universal law of expansion. Just asking the question, what do I desire? What would I like to have? Who do I want to be? What do I want to do with my life? Starts to put us on the path of being in alignment with universal principles, with being in alignment with the expansion of who we are. Just asking ourselves some intelligent questions like that starts to put us in a place where not only are we feeling a little bit better, we're having a better experience of life, but we're, we're in the position of manifesting. You know, my first thought as you were talking is, well, people execute choices every day, and choices in some respect seem to narrow the field. Like, I choose this, I don't choose that. So there's a negation in every affirmation and a choice in some way. My gut tells me that when you're talking about manifesting desires, choice also manifests differently. That it's not seen so much through a, like a kind of a polarity of zeros and ones, that this is contracting and this I'm opening to, but I'm always kind of in this state of heaving where you're talking more about expanding. How does choice change when you're manifesting what it is you truly want? What an important point. And I think that that we need to bring the conversation back just a little bit to the awareness that we have choice. Because so often we forget. Like I said, we wake up, we get out of bed the same way, we put on our pants the same way. We forget that we could brush our teeth a certain, a different way than we usually do. We forget that we could put our pants on a different way than we usually do. We forget how much choice that we have. I think manifestation, yeah, certainly is a, is a process of aligning our choice like you were talking about. But honestly, I think it's a process of reminding ourselves how much choice we have. Because I think we have a tendency to forget. One of, the, one of our other mentors in Huddle talked about, he was talking about it in the context of work, and he was talking about us as creators. And we don't talk about people at work as creators. I like to universalize that idea and talk about people in the way that they are artists and creators mm -hmm. in their lives. Why do we lose that texture? Why do we lose that sense in our lives that we're constantly actually in a state of creating? When does the canvas get so f full and like I sometimes say, we get stuck in this process of connect the dots. You know, we're just, mm -hmm. everything seems preordained and we're just drawing lines between things in our lives on this timeline from birth to marriage to who knows what yeah. in between and then, and then death. Yeah, I, I think we lose it really early, to be honest with you. I think we start to learn around the age of three what we're supposed to do and we're not supposed to do. And we have a really good handle on it by the age of about three. We also, by the age of about seven, start to lose our, our awareness that we're one with everything. You know, you talk to a young child and there's just a different flavor to, wow, we're one with everything. Because 
the the way that their mind operates, we are. The way that the mind operates for a child below the age of about seven, they it's not even a concept. They just know. It's a knowing that they're one with everything. So, you know, the easy answer to your question is I think it's conditioned out of us for a lot of different reasons. Um, but to get more specific, I, I think it happens super, super early. And so rather than spending a whole bunch of time blaming people, whether it's our parents or whoever or ourselves about that or society or getting really upset about it, I think in whatever moment we can reclaim that idea in whatever moment we hear somebody else say it, maybe it rises naturally in our own minds and we think, wow, I'm a creator. I think we need to grab that and really own that idea as much as we possibly can because I think that really starts to open the door on changing our conditioned ways of being where we're not, you know, where we have to fall into line. We have to do things a certain way and follow those systems or believe things um, that other people believe. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's obviously a point in our evolutionary development where we kind of fall out of love with the universe, where we start to understand ourselves as highly differentiated. And yeah. developmental psychologists talk about this. Piaget is well known to be kind of the father, so to speak, of this of a theory on human development. And when that differentiation process happens, and the terrible twos are terrible, particularly for a reason, because the child is starting to become more uniquely differentiated. Yeah. Sense of polymorphous goo and I'm one with all things starts to evaporate because that child starts to develop a clear sense of self, which starts to feel yeah. like a unique being acting out on the world. So yeah, this, this def differentiation happens and it happens a lot, you know, in the ego, in the mind. And then of course, as we evolve and grow, like we start to strengthen the resolve of that ego. I am this, yeah. I am not that. We get into preferences, we get into habits and all those things start to form our sense of self. And, and this conversation about getting back into realignment with the universe, in some traditions I'll call the illusion of our separateness, is, is a lot about what you're describing here. What, what would trigger or, or make us aware that we're on a path that feels fruitless? You describe in this journey in particular, you use the path of fruitless pursuits. How does one get a sense that the path that one is on is not really deeply in alignment? And then what's the corrective measure that one first takes to kind of start moving towards the path that creates that deeper sense of alignment? Sure. So to answer your second question first, I think that the way that we get on the path is to learn the manifestation principles. There are principles to manifestation. And when we learn them, we can start to put ourselves in alignment with our creator self, with the universe. So to answer your first question, then I would really look at do you feel alive? What does it feel like to feel alive? And that's going to feel different for you than it does for me. For each of us, it's going to feel different, that feeling of aliveness. But if a person asks themselves the question, do I really feel alive? You know, it, does my life feel alive? And they can answer yes. You know, I think they're really in alignment with the manifestation principles. They're, they're in alignment with their creator self rather than their conditioning. But if you don't feel fully alive, then it's time to learn the manifestation principles. It's time to put yourself on that path and reclaim yourself as a creator. I had a vision as you were talking, and I never thought about the pandemic this way, but 
it's almost a bit like the zombie apocalypse, the pandemic, because I think for a lot of people, it's made them keenly aware that a lot of a, things about their life are not living, yeah. are not alive. Um, yeah. You know, when you take away all the periphery, when you strip back the constant stimulus, yeah. which is what our lives look like, you know, in, in the normal times, mm-hmm. <laughs> the pre-pandemic times. Uh, people all of a sudden start to feel like dead. Uh, yeah. Literally, like they're like, it's like a living death. I, you know, there was a very well-read article in the New York Times that just came out about languishing. Mm. Languishing almost as kind of a form of like psychological inertia, psychological mm-hmm. kind of like living death, just feeling stuck in this purgatory. No person, yeah. no person's land. I guess at some level, it's maybe not surprising that a lot of people are experiencing that what that feels like this kind of living death this mourning of what was this sense of loss of the things around them but i think that's so interesting i've heard people say the zombie apocalypse before and i've rolled my eyes about it when i heard you describe it though metaphorically it had a very different meaning for me than than has really ever landed it's like if you go to the grocery store and you look at the clerk in the eye and you say hello and they're not really there you know it's like they're half dead um to me that's a sad interaction and i wish that every person had the light on behind their eyes um so this idea actually of the zombie apocalypse kind of metaphorically actually really strikes me deep i mean it it, it strikes a chord with me and a sadness almost that so many people are having highlighted for them actually that sense of feeling really dead inside i think the pandemics one of the pandemics gifts um has been putting a spotlight on things that we really need to look at and i think this is one of them I think this is one of them because it's easy to get distracted when we do have all of the constant stimulus, when we are running around to not pay attention to the fact that at a fundamental level, we've really filled up inside. And so the pandemic has, has highlighted that for some people, for sure, that it's really time if they choose, there's back to choice to do something about that. Because just because we're not under constant stimulus doesn't mean we can't be fully alive. In fact, as you know, other mentors would say, I'm sure that's distracting us, really. Yeah. yeah, because you can, obviously there's a level of addiction to that constant stimulus and you take away that addiction and everyone is literally jonesing. It's like, yeah. you know, chomping at the bit. We are talking about it metaphorically, but I think it's appropriate because, you know, a zombie is literally brain dead. Yeah. When you talk about not being aware, no longer feeling anymore, that is really yeah. the manifestation or the personification of what a zombie life feels like. It feels yeah. like kind of going through the motions, uh, wandering a bit aimlessly, kind of staggering around, <laughs> yeah. ha- half drunk. And I think that's what it's been like for a lot of people, feeling like they're just yeah. kind of like wandering the universe aimlessly, Without maybe sometimes the deeper awareness that that original aim, that original sense of alignment wasn't present. So there's yeah. no anchor there. There's no yeah. anchor, right? Well, you strip back the veneer and there's, seems like there's just no, that wood below the surface, that thick substance is just not there. Yeah. So, so what do people go through as, as you take them on this journey into manifesting what they want and manifesting their desire and getting back into this realignment? Talk to me a little bit about what this process is like. 
Well, we go through some manifestation principles in the journey one by one. And um, it's interesting to me because as I was creating the journey, it's not like it's step by step, but we do need to know the principles. It's almost like making soup to me. Like you throw a little bit of this in, a little bit of that in. But if you, if you don't know the basic principles, you don't know what to throw in. So the, the journey, I think, is really fun because it both is highly exploratory in terms of each of the principles. And we're going to go through each of the principles and learn each of the principles. But also, then there's this flexibility and freedom to kind of weave them together and to make them your own and to use the ones that you want to use more when you want to use them. Um, and I think that's really a balanced way to look at it because if we talk about manifestation and we just say it's step by step, that wouldn't be true. It really wouldn't be true. So there's this idea of structure and freedom. And when we're manifesting things, we do need to know both. And so the, the journey really has that element of both of those things in there. There is plenty of structure, but there's also plenty of freedom. Um, the, the path of manifestation isn't supposed to be drudgery. It's supposed to help you feel alive. And so um, intentionally, I created fun and stories. And it's, it's really was a very enjoyable process for me of bringing the journey to life. And I think that the, the folks who take the journey are going to find also that it is enlivening. It's supposed to, to be enlivening. Yeah. I mean, I think in that sense, it's a, it's in alignment with the, with this as a creative pursuit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's to your point, there are processes, but in the sense of not being like rigid steps. Yeah, because then it wouldn't be manifestation. We always need to keep our mind open in manifestation. We need to keep our eyes open and look. You know, it really reminds me, Mark, of those things that we've lost from our childhood. It's a very integrative process, in my opinion, the manifestation process and journey, because we reclaim some of those things that we lost when we were two, when we were three, when we were seven, whenever they were, that were beautiful and, and fun and mysterious and full of wonder and we get to get some of that back. I think that's really exciting. So for the sake of teasing this out, I wanted to maybe give people a taste for what you're doing in this journey. So let's talk about kind of day one. And on day one, you talk about the principle of empty your cup. Mm -hmm. So let's tease this out a bit. Why is emptying your cup the first dimension or phase of this experience? we want more, but we want more of something different. <laughs> so we have to look at what we have right now. And I really like to think about things in terms of containers. So like the cup analogy makes a lot of sense to me. If I have a cup that is empty and I want to go get, geez, whatever I want, what do I want? Do I want iced tea? Do I want lemonade? Do I want coffee? Do I want hot cocoa? I get to decide. But if I don't have an empty cup, I can't make that decision, you know? So if I have a full cup, I've got whatever's in front of me. <laughs> and most of us have very full cups already. So we talk about emptying the cup. So then we get to choose. That's why we talk about that first. We talk about desire in the second day of the journey, not the first day of the journey, because I want people to understand that what they need to do basically to empty out in order to be able to have space for their desires. Mm -hmm. So it's creating space. Yeah, there's a beautiful Zen parable. I forget exactly how it goes, but it speaks specifically to that idea of, you know, if our cup is overflowing, 
with prejudgments, biases, assumptions, you name it, it's impossible for us to really ever be open and receive or be in a creative state. It would be like having a yeah. canvas that's pre-painted and someone yeah. saying to you, hey, go at it. You're like, <laughs> where do I, where do I go? <laughs> what do I do with this? Yeah. yeah. I love that you said that so much because the manifestation journey really is a big receptivity journey. And we talk about that at the end of our journey on Huddle about receptivity. But what's interesting, just like you're pointing out, is we really start that discussion in the beginning. How interesting is that by emptying your cup? Um, so there really is some full circle stuff there. Keep on exploring. Ani invites you to go on a Huddle journey into manifesting desires, how to get what you truly want. <laughs>